You're listening to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, christianhumanist.org. All the girls are complicated. Everyone is precious too, and you might get lucky if you do. Oh, you might get lucky if you do. Find the one that makes you laugh. Find the one that takes your breath where you won't get everything that you want. Oh, but you'll need one to don't Hello, and welcome to episode 173 of the Christian Feminist Podcast. I'm Sarah Kluster. Today, we are discussing the beautiful Netflix animated steampunk series, Arcane, which is based on the lore for the League of Legends video game. Arcane has the distinct honor of being, in my opinion, the best video game adaptation ever done, which is kind of like saying it's the dog with the least amount of fleas at the, at the pound, because video games are notoriously difficult to adapt. If you consider the uh, early 90s Mario Brothers movie adaptations of, say, Assassin's Creed, they just, they never get the feel of the game, the the players of the game are always generally fairly underwhelmed or disappointed, and it very rarely ever brings new fans to the lore. Um, League of Legends, which this is based off, which Arcane is based off of, is a 2009, 2009 multiplayer battle arena game, which pits two teams, or generally pits two teams of five players against each other. League of Legends is incredibly popular. It's one of the top eSport games. They have massive following um at any given time there are about nine million active players that uh will log in each month to play it's an incredibly still a very popular game almost over a decade after its uh creation but one does not have to play the game to appreciate the series even though it is filled with easter eggs for the fans Arcane is filled with strong female characters who are fully fleshed out without a single Mary Sue to be found in the entire series, which is well worth your time to watch. If you've been hesitating because you weren't sure about watching or committing nine hours to watch a show based off of a video game, I'll go ahead and relieve your worries. It's amazing. Go ahead and watch it. But before going any further, I'll let my co-hosts introduce themselves. Hello, Christina and Lori. Lori. Why don't you tell us about yourself uh, briefly and how you've been doing? Uh, thank you, Sarah. I am currently um, getting over a sinus infection that I took with me to Dragon Con. So I am the typhoid Mary. I am sorry, but it was worth it. Um, other than that, I am uh, <laughs> I am at the University of Georgia where I'm at the op- I'm the office manager in the English department supposedly writing a dissertation um but mostly just daydreaming about cosplay so i know you cosplayed for dragon con what did you cosplay as so at dragon con i had a series of costumes on friday it was space day so during you got to do day drag and night drag those are the rules so day drag i was just a standard opa member from the expanse and at night i was barf from space balls and then on Saturday is Desert Day. Um, I was a saloon girl bank robber 
with my my friends and in the evening I was Mad Max but it was sexy Mad Max because I had to give myself permission to not do a screen accurate recreation at the end of Road Warrior because I am that nerd and then on Sunday I finished things <laughs> off with a day drag of death from Sandman. Oh man, wow. Just wow. It was a lot. So, <laughs> only time I've ever I dressed up as Hermione for the the release of Deathly Hollows. That's the only time I've done it. Not not out of lack of like willingness to like go for it, but just I don't know. I feel I I would love to dress up more. I think I it's probably a lack of belief in my own creativity of like, ooh, if I need like the feeling that if I need to make something or sew something, I have no ability to do that. I just have to buy a fully made costume. And I think sometimes that that's not quite the spirit of it, right? Because you want to like, mm. there's a homemadeness to it. So, but that's yeah. I give you permission, Sarah, to do what you want. You want to come visit Athens where Rumpus is a high holy day. It's our Halloween celebration. You'll be amongst people who slapdash stuff together or spend way too much money, that's me, on on uh, things they buy at Party City. Either way, all are welcome. If you want to dress like a fool, you're more than welcome to do so, and I'll stand right next to you. Well, that was good. I guess I will say, I did dress up for, or I did a minor dress up for a Ren Faire one, and that was kind of fun. Wow. All right. Christina, well, what about you? What have you been doing recently <laughs> besides teaching class and, you know, staying busy? Well, I just have to say, I did cosplay before it was called cosplay, um, but I only really did it once, and that was when I played Jean-Luc Picard for my high school class that I was teaching in high school. I got a real good Picard outfit going on. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, just been teaching, struggling with also sinuses, and it's uh, actually enjoying some good uh, fall weather here in the otherwise obnoxious state of Illinois. So happy to be on the show with you guys. Well, we are very happy to have you. I'm Sarah Kluster. I am getting towards the tail end of my maternity leave. And so when I was scheduling stuff for uh, the episodes for this fall, I was like, oh, I'll just go ahead and do, I'll just do it in my maternity leave. It'll be super easy for me to sch- schedule. I'll just do it when everyone else is done because I'll be free. Um, and so I've just been catching up on sleep and watching a lot of TV while I've been home with my kiddos. So it was very easy to get to rewatch Arcane because sometimes it's hard to rewatch stuff. So that's been really good. Um, so I think this is a show, I think Arcane is kind of a show that might that some might have a preconceived notion about it. I know I did because I saw that it said Arcane League of Legends, and I just had this. I had a lot of assumptions about what the series would be like because based off of what I knew of the video game and the video game. For those of the for most people play it um, online with strangers, or you can play with your friends. You can all log on together as a team, but it has a. It has a lot of, shall we say, there can be a lot of hate when you're uh, playing this game in terms of like, if your character goes down the wrong lane, or if you don't do exactly what you're supposed to, you'll have people, your own teammates spamming you about like, with slurs and all sorts of things, because people take this game, even when it's just, even when it's non-competitive, even when like, they take it very seriously. So 
the story I'll say about it is my, my husband used to play it a lot. And then once we got married, he still can kind of continue to play it in the evenings. And I was like, Oh, I was trying to be a good wife and like, Hey, what's this video game you're so into? Maybe I should learn how to play it and we can play together. And he was like, don't play it. Like, why? Like, you talk about that. It has an incredibly high learning curve. People are mean, this, this, and this. And so I watched him play a little bit and kind of watched some of the comments that could just roll in from strangers and so I just started calling League of Legends mean game because everybody on it was so mean to each other. And so I knew this about it. And so I didn't watch the, sh- the show for a little while because I just had this preconceived notion of what I knew about it. Um, Lori or Christina, did either oh, of you have terrible. preconceived notions? And I Wait, know- did Lori, I- do you play it, Lori? I've never <laughs> played it, so... Um. Okay, so despite the fact that I keep appearing on all of these video game related podcast episodes, I don't. I the closest I come to to playing video games is I used to watch my old roommate while he would play, and I made him buy Death Stranding so I could watch him play it. So okay, so no, I don't have any relationship to Mean Game. Okay. Well, I- Christy, I didn't know. I know you have a teenage son, and I know he. Pl- you mentioned in our last podcast that he, like, he plays. A lot. I didn't know if this was one that played. No, he doesn't tend to do the multiplayer online things. He does more just with one other person that he plays like a lot of the Roblox games where it's like there's one that's called oh, I don't know. It's this guy just runs around and chases you in the woods in the dark and kills you. And the whole point is just to stay alive. Okay. Yeah, so he doesn't play like he doesn't do like Fortnite or any of those other kind of things. So, which I'm glad because I don't really want, you know, him to be shooting actively at people. That's not my goal for his spiritual formation. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know, but I would, I would play this game if I knew how to like, for instance, mean game, if I knew how to do it, but like I purposely don't learn how to do stuff like that because I know I could fall into a deep hole and play for a lot of hours. So um, I will say I have put uh, one last thing and then we'll move on to the re I have, I have put, fallen into a sieve hole. While oh yeah. Sieve is the worst. Sieve is the worst. Sieve is how I got started in gaming. So, okay. So had any of y'all had, so had either of y'all had a preconceived notion before I was like, please watch this series or had y'all like seen it and considered it or had heard anything about it before you watched it? Zero. I, so because of my, my old roommates, uh, um, there, they let me have their, uh, Netflix. So I have an account on there and every now and then the algorithm sort of smushes our things together and mine, it's all like, you know, Korean time travel dramas and German cinema. And theirs is all like animation and kid shows because they watch things for fun, not to be terrorized. This is hilarious. Soul. Just imagining um, this, this mashup is hilarious. Oh, it is. It is pretty, pretty hysterical. But when this algorithm freaks out and every occasionally like shows me their stuff, it's like the things that will bubble up to the surface of I don't know the muck that roll that covers my soul. Um, I'll see. And so I was aware of Arcane because it made such a big splash just generally on the streaming site, and because Joshua and Jamie enjoyed it so much that they did try and recommend it to me. So I, I knew it existed and I'm shocked at how much of the iconography was familiar to me. 
watching it through, but I had no pre no preconceptions and no relationship to it. So I was a little confused when, when it first started, but uh, yeah, coming in completely fresh. Well, that is always very good to hear. And like I said, I knew very little. A lot of the stuff that I'll talk about in a little bit is all stuff where like I researched it. I am not, I don't have the first person knowledge from playing the game. Well, the series of Arcane is set in the city of Piltover, which calls itself the city of progress. However, this city is very much physically and economically divided. Piltover has an undercity, uh, which is where the destitute and criminal element live. The two halves are connected only by a single bridge, and the stories uh, pits the characters from the undercity, which they call Zon, against Piltover, or as the residents of the undercity call them, Topsiders. Our main characters are sisters Vi and Powder. We find out from the very first scene that their lives have already been filled with trauma and violence. We jump ahead to see the girls ready to pull a heist with their newfound family uh, from the Undercity. The girls' personalities are immediately apparent as the older, more confident Vi can jump from building to building with ease. She's just this um, really kind of amazing uh, uh parkour expert essentially and her younger sister is kind of really struggling to keep up with the group she's gonna she trips she can't make she's not as strong uh she's not as quiet because she just doesn't have the experience um a traumatic event eventually happens which is going to separate the sisters who are going to take very different paths but are reunited many years later and those are kind of our, our main undercity characters and our characters from the top side are jace caitlin and mel mel as a member of the Piltover Council, she holds immense political power, uh, while Jace is one of our main male characters, and he begins as a student secretly studying magic, and his family and he is family friends with Caitlin, who is just a kind of a, she's a member of a well-to-do, well-connected family, and she grows up to kind of become a member of the law enforcement of Piltover. Um, when Jace's secret experiments are discovered, he pushes until he can show how his, as the magic, or as they call it, they call it hex, hex tech, but it's it's magic, people. Um, as the series calls it, it's it's really valuable to the city. There, um, As frequently happens, a new technology is, is invented where we think about these are all the vast ways it can improve the lives of everyone, and it really kind of just ends up in making the rich richer. Um, fast forward several years, the topsiders have grown richer with this new technology, while Zahn is being left further and further behind Piltover. So it's a nine, it's a nine episode series. That's um, we're going to spoil the heck out of this, but this is just kind of to give you a little bit of a listeners to give you a little bit of an understanding of some of the characters we may talk about. Um, Christina or Laurie, any other characters or plot that you think it's really important that? our listeners be aware of before we kind of just dive in talking about everybody. No, that's a good setup. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really solid place from which to discuss the frankly myriad ways that this show does really interesting things with a lot of basically simplistic tropes. Yeah. All right. Well then we'll go ahead and dive in, dive into it and we'll go ahead and start talking about our, Initial main duo, uh, Vi and Powder, or as Powder is eventually known as she gets older, Jinx. And this is clearly the main relationship of the show, these sisters. Vi is our older sister, Powder, 
for Jinx as a younger sister. You can tell that Arcane went with, um, I call it the an- like the anime rule of if somebody is important, which is if they have weird colored hair, they're probably important. And if they just have normal brown hair, like, okay, you don't need to worry about who this person is because they're not very important. So we have like Vi has Vi has bright pink hair, Powder has kind of sky blue hair, and then we have one other female character, Caitlin, who we'll talk about in a little bit. She has kind of purpley hair, um, and everybody else kind of has normal hair. We just kind of have these three characters with with weird colored hair. Um, <clears throat> I have one caveat to that: normal colored hair. But I will be ranting later on about the ridiculousness. Of someone else's hair design. Okay, and we, we would definitely yes. get into that. Okay, so what are what are y'all's thoughts on when y'all first saw this? Especially, we have we have this time jump after this traumatic event. Uh, the character of Powder is trying to be helpful. She's she's really young, right? She's really young and she's not very good at stuff. And I think the series initially is like, can you believe she's not as good at this stuff? And I want to be like, she's eight, guys. Why are you taking an eight-year-old? Like, yeah. why are you calling yeah. her Jinx? I want to say, why are you taking an eight-year-old on your on your robberies? Oh, right? yeah, that that drove me crazy. Because okay, so it took me about three episodes to figure out what was going on. Because I'm just, I don't know, I don't, I, well, I didn't get it. It took me a while too. It took but me a while. The yeah, right. The one thing that was immediately apparent was. This is not how you raise children. Yeah, so, yeah. Like something was definitely wrong from the get go. Not just because you right. see you meet these two kids and they're they're crying over corpses, literally, but like something is definitely wrong in this relationship. That what is she like? She's like fifteen or something, and she has yeah. to be an adult, and you're letting a fifteen year old make decisions about an eight no one's had no one's brains are done baking they should not no. have this kind of responsibility and so i was like what is going on in this world that a kid who doesn't know what she's doing and is trying to like live up to an image of her father figure that she thinks he wants but she's made of anger issues what is she doing dragging around a a, a child um i'm um, a tiny child who, yeah, who clearly so, wants to blow stuff up? Yeah, so the character of Jinx, um, we have they they have different strengths. So they, these are and so Vi and Jinx are actual characters in the video game, um, and in the video game, the character of Violet is always ca- chasing the character of Jinx, and it's never been established why the character of Vi is ca- chasing the character of Jinx. So they're in not the sisters game. in the game. Yeah, they're they're not like it's not canon in the game that they were sisters, but it's kind of considered canon now, right? And so okay. a lot of the relationships that the series represents are based on how the character, the mechanism the characters were designed to work with, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And so you have this character of Jinx or Powder, like she's a kid, and instead of being like she's all upset, upset, and like I can't believe, instead of being like oh, you probably shouldn't be making bombs. They're like, I can't believe your your bomb didn't work better, eight-year-old. No, why is the eight-year-old building bombs? Well, because it's clearly some kind of dystopian world, right, that's being depicted. And in fact, I was wondering how much of it just comes from H.G. Wells's time machine where there's these upper creatures and, you know, like Morlocks or something and the lower creatures. Have y'all re- I've never read it, but I've heard a lot about that book. So where it, the, the conditions underneath 
the surface are really poor. So that's that's no excuse for taking a child on such missions, but that's what I thought was the reason for all of the crazy. I too have not read Time Machine, but hearing that these were two extant characters that didn't have an established relationship, and so they kind of reverse engineer for the show, one absolutely explains why it was so confusing for those first three episodes, and then suddenly it makes more sense when they do the chime jump forward. But also, I think they did a pretty good job then of explaining, all right, if you're going to start with um, a stoic fighter and a crazy loose cannon and go back in time to invent how they could be in in relationship, you know, 15-year-old not doing a great job raising an 8-year-old in in a dystopia, that's, yeah, that actually makes a really, really compelling argument. Yeah, it does, and it passes the heck out of the Bechdel test, for one thing. It does. I mean, this this series, yeah, completely does. And one of the things that, I don't even know if it's a strength of this series, maybe it's even a weakness, like, there are are no, there are no one-dimensional characters at all, let alone really one-dimensional female characters. Like, everybody has a backstory, and sometimes, like, you know, maybe it might, it might, you know, it might be easier if we didn't, but this character, this show really refuses, I think, to have anybody is 100% good. Um, I think one of the things you get with Vi and Jinx is you have this massive amount of trauma that Jinx has suffered. Um, and so in, in the video game, she very much is this like crazed Manny picks it, Pixel, pixie dream girl or like actually she'd yeah. be one mini manic pixie nightmare girl right right you know that's um, really interesting yeah. because she's not you know um Lori, you're right like that she had to go back and kind of explain or they had to go back and explain how she could be such a loose cannon that makes perfect sense and what i loved about it was that i was actually very emotionally invested in their relationship because i have a sister and my sister and i don't get along that great and the high cost that can happen on a really good relationship, like one betrayal can be really high, which is really what happened. You know, well, there was that moment is, where the older sister broke down and just and said, you're jinx. She didn't really mean that. She had been no, supportive it was, it was of her the whole time. paid for herself. Like yeah. her father figure had died to protect her. Her, yep. her found siblings of uh, Milo and Clagger, uh, are killed not on purpose by J- by powder. Yep. But 100% at her hand her fault. Not on purpose, but like in kind yep. of like an accidental manslaughter kind of way. Yeah, and then by just accidentally lets loose you're a jinx. She doesn't yeah. really actually mean that, you know. And, and then she, she gets kidnapped by a corrupt cop. Yeah. <laughs> and, that. Gets, and the corrupt cop is like, "Well, I'm saving you," but at the same time like if he had like let her, like, we don't know what would happen if he let her go back, but, you know, Vi, I mean, she's only walks away from Powder for what might have been, like, three or four minutes, and then she's like, no, I have to go back, she's my sister. Like, she had no intention of truly abandoning her sister. Exactly. But then Powder, who becomes Jinx, is really kind of convinced that she is, and then she has, she is in this, like, the depths of the most, tra- one of the most traumatic things that could really happen to anyone, and then... Our villain um, of the piece, uh, Silco, who's kind of this underworld crime boss, 
um, who's kind of always initially fighting to get the Undercity of Zaun kind of its own independence uh, away from Piltover. But he does it through very kind of underhanded means. Um, he he, ba- he uh, basically uh, traffics a lot of drugs, which are called uh, Shimmer, which they I think they basically call it that. So it looks super cool on screen. So it's like weird purpley goo that gives you like um, extra powers and physical strength and all of this. Um, he comes and he, he, he comforts Jinx or comforts Powder mm-hmm. and basically becomes her father figure. And... Like, I totally get how she went from this character who was, okay, a little accent prone to being, like, literally psychotic and schizophrenic. Because she just, she has this massive trauma that is never really, um, is never really dealt with. And I know we'll, we'll, we'll have, we'll kind of talk about the trauma more specifically later, but... I guess I was, I, I just want to see how do you, um, I have no, I am just a sister myself. I have a brother. I don't have a sister. Christina, you said that you have a sister. Do you feel like there's like, does this relationship between the two of them feel like have realness to you and feel like, like a real sister relationship? Yeah, it does simply because uh, I'm the older sister and the younger sister, you know, it, is kind of in a vulnerable position that the older sister doesn't really totally want to embrace uh, and is not mature enough to handle. And like I said, sometimes you just get frustrated and you say the wrong thing or you get angry and then that thing can just stay forever or like a really long time, right? This becomes a almost impossible barrier and then they get physically separated to boot, right? So yeah, I, th- I thought it was a pretty realistic depiction of the relationship and then of her just her inner psyche with the way that that's animated and the struggle that she has between being herself powder or jinx and her sister wanting to love her back out of that struggle i thought that was all really was surprisingly well done i wasn't expecting that Lori, do you have a do you have a sister does this feel like real to you i do have a sister and though she's younger she would definitely be the vi and I would be the powder in the relationship, which shocks no one who meets us because she was born 40 and I will mature <laughs> until I die. Um, but yeah, I, one of the things that, because my sister and I were, were so different, like aesthetically different growing up, we just weren't friends, frankly, until she met her husband and he wouldn't put up with her stuff like her behavior anymore now now we're good we have a much better relationship as adults than we did as kids which got me Mm. thinking about like the reversal for for vi and powder it's i think a lot of that is because their relationship comes from an unhealthy place because they are so codependent because of the like the sheer horror of their their early youth Um, Yeah, like she should not have to take that good care of her sister, right? Yeah. It's a problem. Yeah, Yeah. and I mean, not to blame Vander for everything, but it's Vander's fault. Um, But yeah, so like it does, it's the the arc of their relationship, despite being this, frankly, high fantasy world, it is really realistic and it makes a lot of sense Plus, there are bombs. Yes, there there are a lot of bombs. The so I th- one of the things I think like 
like Vi is constantly trying to get to her sister. Um, and I think that that when, when she finally, finally sees Jinx and kind of comes up and, you know, Jinx is kind of like, I'm not the, I'm not the sister you thought I was. I'm not the same person. And Vi really is like, I know you did what you had to do to survive. And it's, it's interesting because Vi meets several people who are like, that child powder, she is gone. There is no one there. Um, we talked to the character of Echo, who's kind of the, like the leader of like a rival gang in the underworld, but they're like a good gang. He's like Robin Hood for the under, for the undercity. Um, and he very, he very categorically states like powder is dead. Like there, she's nothing left. There's only Jinx. And Vi really refuses to believe that. And I don't know if, and I think that that's one of those things that it's really difficult. Those are always difficult situations. You know, when you have a situation like that of maybe like a parent or a grandparent who maybe has like Alzheimer's or something, and you have to like, you have to mourn the loss of the person who was there because even though the person's physically there, they're, they're not who they were anymore. There's a little bit of like, does Vi need to just let this go? Or like how, like as Christians, like mm-hmm. how long do we hold out hope that like somebody can come back? Right. Cause she's done horrible well, things. Isn't she's, never that just like... nice little, she's never going to be the nine year old again, but like, can you move right. forward from where you are now? Right. Well, it's, a, it's like Lord of the Rings, right. With Gollum. It's, there's this moment of like, I'm this, I'm that, I'm that, you know, and, and only love can bring you back to, you know, you're never going to be completely powder again because powder was a child. Right. But uh, she's clearly not happy in her role as Jinx because she's fragmented and um, not whole. Right. There's dissonance. Um, Yeah. And that's one thing I really appreciate. Like we'll see what happens in season two that is underway now, but or production now, but I really liked that. No, despite the fact that Vi's love for Powder is true and consistent and, and unconditional, Powder is not saved, right? She is not magically sane. She is that's not right. complete whole. She is still deeply broken. Yeah, but, that's definitely. Yeah, she's she she's not. It's not a a, a panacea. You know, love love is important, but also the reality of their lived experience mm-hmm. has consequences. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I really appreciate that. I will want I do. OK, so I want to transition a little bit away from powder into into another relationship that I think is not quite handled it quite as realistically. And that is Vi and Caitlin. OK, I don't know what the show wants us to think, but. It seemed too easy. A little too easy to, for it to get romantic. Yeah. It, like, I can understand them having a thing for each other because, like, you know, I meet a person. I'll, I I could tell you within, like, seconds whether or not I, I, I'm attracted yeah, to them. Yeah, both very, yeah, as, as Vi tells Caitlin, you're hot, cupcake. Yeah, but the fact that Vi could get over the cop thing so easy and Caitlin, who seems like the only non-corrupt police officer in this entire world, uh, just gets down with, sure, I'll trust you, person I saw punching holes in walls in prison. Like, that, it felt too convenient. And I want them, I want the show to put as much 
thought and consideration into the realism of their interactions as they have with Vi and Powder. So, yeah, it's uh, almost like we're not there. We can't get there because of the obligatory. You have to have the same-sex relationship, right? It's like this obligatory thing now, and it doesn't mean that that's going to be well thought out, which you, you're, it's not here. Well, and so uh, this is another one where, like, the the characters in game have a have a specific dynamic that they work together, um, and so the character. Oh, is that right? These two oh, do. They do, and so uh, this was one that my husband was explaining to me a little bit uh, earlier today that. When Vi and Kate, that the, that they're at least in the game, the relationship between Vi and Caitlin is like the relationship between Caitlin is the Commissioner Gordon and Vi is Batman, and they're both chasing Jinx, who is is like the Joker, if that makes sense. Oh, that's uh, fascinating. I okay. still don't think they did it right. <laughs> and yeah, so what will happen is like if the characters, if you're playing the game, if the characters of Vi and Caitlin get near each other, they ought like it auto cues that they'll say certain things to each other. Right, they'll like have what? these auto cues that they'll say certain things if they're on the same team or if they're on different teams, but they get close, they'll still like they'll have these different lines. Um, the same thing if they're if they're on the same team and Jinx is on the other team, or if they're on the same team with Jinx and like, and so that's probably huh. why if you're like, what man, why did they d- maybe necessarily decide to go that closely with them? That's because that's another one like that is a pre-established relationship in the game that they're like backfilling in. Does that make sense? Yeah, and, and and maybe they did they didn't do that as well, but I will say I um there's like they 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 heavily hint that it's going to be a homosexual relationship, but they like they don't quite, like quite go out and like say it. And cynically, some might say like, well, they want to release this in China, so they're not going to quite be super overt about it. You know, who knows? But you do have that at but- least as a an initial friendship maybe more between Vi and Caitlin um, because I think Vi initially is very much like, okay, I'm just kind of using you to get out. And then Caitlin essentially saves her, uh, saves Vi when Vi is in that fight with Savika, right? Yeah. Because Caitlin, Vi gets in fights with Savika, who's like the, like the next in command to Solko multiple times because <laughs> she just has so much anger. Yeah. Um, well, so looked at these relationships. Life, I think that that really is like Vi's like, okay, you could have run, you could have done this. And that that's, I think, at least what initially builds the trust on Vi's side. Yeah. I don't know. I, I just feel like any kind of homoerotic relationships are never going to have any real realism to them if, as long as they're just obligatorily done. Just like uh, and there, no romance between a man and a woman character is going to have any real significance as long as that they're just fulfilling a particular role, right? And Speaking they, of, what about Mel and Jace? Did anybody else not buy that pairing? Yeah, well, yeah, that felt kind of like uh, just a sort of stand-in thing, you know, well, kind of got to have a romantic relationship. Well, and no, and so Mel actually, my understanding uh, is Mel is an original character. So Jace is a so so far, everyone we've talked about Vi and Jinx and Caitlyn are all characters you can play as like champions in the game. Jace is a champion you can play him in the game. Mel is an original character to the series. And, okay. so, and, and I think what you end up with with her is a little bit like, so I think Mel is an interesting character because she has these, she has this like interesting dichotomy of like, she has this very masculine role of like all this political power and influence, which we think like on the council, which might traditionally be like a masculine role, but she uses extremely feminine ways 
to get it, right? Like, she's not, there's no physical aggression. Like, she is, like, a smooth operator. She knows what everybody wants. She's able to really kind of, she sees Jace as, like, a way to gain more, basically more power, more money, um, more influence. And so she kind of goes after him and, like, kind of brings him in, kind of, like, manipulates him into like getting him on the council and you know they may have you know they may they they may have some sincere affection for each other but she very much is a character who is going after what she wants but she's just not doing it in a, in a physical aggression way like or in a violent way like by powder and even caitlin who you know, is a, is a police officer, but she, um, and she's, Caitlin in some ways is the most uh, girly character in the game, or not game, in the series. But I just think that that's kind of interesting that, like, she, all of her power she gets from these kind of very feminine wiles, right? Because she's very beautiful. She mm-hmm. emits a power because she can just kind of look at somebody on the council and they'll change their vote to be what she wants, Right. Yeah, I, at first I wasn't that interested in her, and then they brought her mother in the show, and then I was very interested because that was weird and powerful. Yeah, yeah. Until her mom shows up, she's just like some rich capitalist, and yeah, <laughs> yeah. But then her mom shows up, and her mom is like the most interesting character on yeah, this show. Totally. She's Amazon, who's just yeah. really comfortable with her own sexuality and killing and, people, <laughs> yeah, taking people's heads she's, off. She's a real cougar. She's got like she's like a general and like has this little like you know ensign or whatever who's just like you know like rubbing her shoulders while she's in the jacuzzi, right? Like again, yeah, yeah. Mom yeah. Is very like it feels a little odd to see this because this is 100% we've seen this like, but swap genders and it's like, okay, you have a, you have this big powerful male general with like this, you know, little harem girl wafting him with a palm frond. Well, we see that, like that seems much more normal, but it seems really weird to see it gender swapped. Yes, yeah. that's right. And, and did y'all catch that, that character Grayson was played by the woman on expanse. What's her name? The actress. Yeah. Yeah. And, they really kind of masculinized her as well. Um, and then she gets killed, right? Yeah. Worst Early decision they on. ever made. Yeah. Everything's better with Shore in it. No, I agree with that. So that was, I, 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 that was one of the reasons why I was like, yeah, I don't know if I'm going to continue watching this. And I was like, oh, she's in it. Well, I'll keep watching, you know. But yeah, there's a I, strong connection between those two characters, the Grayson character and Mel's mom. Yeah, it's like they needed that kind of um, gender bent energy in there, which is interesting when you put uh, Mel's mom and Bessa against Caitlin's mom, Cassandra, because Cassandra looks like a like a Victorian marm. She really does. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. School teacher or something. Yeah. So you have you have like two poles of of feminine power represented in these mothers, neither of whom seem to really understand their daughters. That's a good point. That's the truth. I think I will say, like, I think it's interesting that in, in like the second to last episode, when Vi and Caitlin are like, like crawling in through Caitlin's window, the mom Cassandra bursts in and she's kind of taking the dad role where she like, she's the one with the gun. 
And it's like, what are you oh. doing with my daughter? Like that kind of thing. And then the dad comes in and is like, oh, Caitlin, we've been so worried. And like gives her a hug. And then like in the next scene, the dad's, the mom's the one questioning him. And the dad's the one who's just like sitting there like, let me, let me tend to your wounds, honey. Like, I don't know. I thought that was kind of funny. Like, I didn't even women, notice like, that. Women, That's awesome. Women clearly I didn't notice that either. Are kind of clearly like, like we're in, I would say wearing the pants in that family, but they're all wearing dresses. Um, <laughs> I will say, I do think, I think Caitlin overall is the most feminine character because mm-hmm. yeah, she's the one who has the most just like compassion of anyone. She's the one who's like, she cares about what's happening in Zon inherently because she's like, oh, people are suffering and we should care about this. Like, mm-hmm. this is But awful. she hasn't had to be as tough as Vi or something. Yeah, she hasn't had to be as yeah. tough. And she, she does like, and she uses, and she's not using, um, like pistols or something that might be a shorter range weapon. She's using like a long range rifle, right? She's essentially, and so she's kind of in that, that traditional feminine role of like, okay, you know, like, because women are always the archer, right? Yes. So it's the same thing. It's been saving the archer. She's like, you know, she's the sniper. Um, and she like, she has this like little mini, this like little outfit that she wears that, um, a lot of the outfits they wear are in, almost exactly like they are in the game, only they're a little more modest. Jinx in the game, basically, if you think about what um, Margot Robbie wears when she's in Suicide Squad, right? They're just like hot pants and a bra, right? That's I don't watch that, so. Uh, that's basically how, they, how Margot, they had Margot Robbie looking in Suicide Squad. And that's essentially how Jinx looks in the game, but for this, they like. She has on more like capris and like her top's a little more modest. Like they tried to, it, it seemed like some of the characters who were highly sexualized in the game, which is for a, a primarily male audience, that they, they tried to tone some of that down a little bit, which is that's, good because if I was, I wouldn't want to just, it's good. just that it was filled with that. That's really interesting, that comparison, because, uh, so spoiler alert, uh, listeners, before we, we started recording, we were actually talking a little bit about uh, the, the echoes of Harley in in Jinx, and that's really interesting to me because, like, you see what has been done with Margot Robbie's portrayal in Suicide Squad. Uh, you've got she's just it's just it's offensive. Daddy's little monster. That outfit is terrible. But then you get uh, Kathy Ann's uh, Birds of Prey, and everything she wears makes so much more sense. Like. She she still dresses like a clown, but she's not a hypersexualized object anymore. She's the center of her own story. She's the subject. And so when you see James Gunn's The Suicide Squad, the Harley that is in that movie is so much more sartorially related to Kathy Yan's Harley than oh, is it David Ayer's version? Uh I I think we see that here. Like the jinx that you might see in the video game in the impossible physics of how does that shirt stay on when fighting? Um, plus a much more logical kind <laughs> of uh, outfit in the, in the show you get the, Oh man, you guys should see dragon con. I was so happy. I saw this show before dragon con. Cause I was just basically going around. I get that reference. And what, so what, what did you notice at dragon con from? So, from- uh, the women who tried to go with screen accurate jinx from the show wore like racerback tank tops yeah. with the, the stitching done in. But then the the, the women who uh, and there's a large 
there's a large number of of people who go to Dragon Con just to show off how expensive their gym memberships are. But uh, yeah, you have the women who are like, I'm gonna lean into the the boobs of it all, and they're basically wearing uh, triangle bra tops as as Jinx characters. And it's okay. really interesting to see who they seem to be dressing for mm-hmm. and who they might be inspired by, which which version of Jinx they're dressing as. Fascinating. Yeah, it is. I'm going to have to sit and ponder this in my heart for a bit. Well, what else did you see from the show at Dragon Con? Other outfits? Uh, lots of, of, of jinxes. I saw a few Vi's, and the Vi's were really interesting. Um, seeing basically giving people, uh, women the excuse to dye their hair pink. Yeah. Um, but the, uh, it was, it was really just Vi and powder. I didn't see any enforcers, which seems like it would be a really good cosplay and mm-hmm. fairly easy to pull off. Definitely yeah. didn't see any Jaces. Oh, I saw a Victor, which was awesome. His Victor was so good. Um, well, that, but so Victor this, doesn't have a lot of distinguishing characteristics. It wasn't Soko, it was Victor. No, Victor. The one, wow. the, the, the uh, Heimer Dinger, yeah. the cats, the cat's assistant. So yeah. I knew it was Victor because one, the hair, but also uh, the um, prosthetic support. Prosthetics, yeah, okay. Yeah. Interesting. Wow. No Silcos, no Vanders. So. Uh, so one of the things that uh, I'll, this will be a bit of a spoiler, but um, in the game, Jace and Victor are like mortal enemies in the game. <gasps> is it because Jace is the worst? Shocker. Well, yeah. And so I think Jace is, uh, Jace is interesting. I will say, like, I do think it is, I, in some of like the female empowerment, I did think that it was kind of interesting that like, I mean, Jace is, He's like smart, but he he's definitely like some eye candy, and like we get like this scene where he's like working in the forge with his shirt off. Yeah, he's an absolute himbo. Yeah, um, <laughs> and like and Mel kind of embraces that, right? Mel's like, you know what? Oh I'm, yeah, of I'm course. Of that. Um, yeah, she is her knows. mother's daughter. Yeah, come on. Um, whereas you know, I think, and then you, you get Victor, who I think. Scene. I think we get some scenes showing that, like, Victor is really, Victor is probably this, like, Victor is probably the one who's more of a genius, but, like, Jace had the idea, but Victor is the one who can really make it work, right? Like, mm-hmm. Jace has the big idea, but Victor is the one who can make it, can really make it happen. Because, like, we see all this stuff about Victor being a genius, even as a very young child, right? Yeah, that's I'm going to go out right. with, with reverse neck necklace clicking woman. <laughs> that's what I want to know. <laughs> oh yeah yeah Where it, it just looks like she has the like, gears going around her neck or whatever oh, that seems that kind of awesome. dangerous to get close to that chick yeah okay so a thing that with victor that really struck me and um this kind of on character design so in the in the episode where well episodes i suppose where victor is in his you know dark night of the soul and shooting up his mutant juice uh, he's, the character is almost nude. It's fascinating to me that that body type in so much of like comics and anime and manga, that body type for women is somehow an ideal if you strap two coconuts on it on the chest. Uh, but it's explicitly shown that he is frail and weak and has no strength. And the, this mm-hmm. super slim 
like tiny Tim. Like a, he's like he's a giant tiny Tim. Yeah, yeah. I re I'm yes. really fascinated by the character design that says no. These women have muscles, and that is how they can fight. And Victor looks his body looks like a tri- a tip more typically drawn female character and it they say no he's breakable look he's falling apart this is not a healthy body image i am so, fascinated by that again one of the things that they, they they kind of adapt for the show um in the game vi is much more slim she has much more of a similar body body type to to jinx where they're both kind of just like super skinny with big boobs but they 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 kind of moderate of course uh, they had to have big boobs come on uh, well, I mean, maybe they could have big butts. I don't know. Uh, yeah. it's well, all at least her. they didn't do that in the show. Well, and I, I think the thing that they like that they did in the show that I like is because because Vi, you know, um, Jinx fights with her with her guns. Um, Caitlin does her like long distance rival. Vi like punches people. Like they made her they made her look more like a you know like a Gina Carano right. Like they made her a little more like thick. Um, so she looks like she could actually yeah. or receive a punch without absolutely shattering. And I no, appreciate totally. that. She, like, and she does like, receive. And I think punches. one of the, one of the things that I think this show definitely is like, doesn't have Mary Sue's at all is because for like Vi, who I think would be the easiest one to do that with, like you see her get ugly punched a lot. Like she's like spitting out teeth. Like she, at no point, you know, she's a good fighter, but she's got, but like, Oh, she's not very good at a lot of stuff. Um, and and I, I do think each of the characters, like they have, they have the things they're good at. Like Caitlyn, Caitlyn's beautiful. She's come from this really family. Like it could be easy for Caitlyn to do that. But the show shows, even if it's necessarily not necessarily like a flaw, like a character flaw. Like Caitlyn's really naive, right? So they all have these like things that kind of they're working through. Um. What do we think? We've talked a little bit about, like, our female mothers of, like, Ambessa and Cassandra. Um, what do we think about our relationships with our with the male parental figures we see, basically, Vander and Silco? Um, we, we know that the, the cop is, Marcus, is a is a father, but I, you know, I, I think Vander and Silco are our main father figures. What do we, how do we think that they do? I don't think that they do, they sort of try, but they're, just, but it feels like they're really kind of using these kids for their own benefit, right? Yeah, neither of these men should be fathers, but it's interesting to see that they both try probably the best that they can given their own limitations. And that is something the show does really well is is give the characters realistic limitations. Like Vander is apparently the leader who got everybody killed at the beginning of the show. Yeah, and he was... Yeah, yeah, he was like the leader of the initial rebellion that got Powder and Jinx's parents killed. Yeah, so and he so, takes he takes all these kids in out of like guilt. Mm-hmm. But then Silco, yeah, yeah, he first takes Powder in out of it. It seems like, ooh, let me take advantage of this situation. But by the end, it's clear he really does have affection her. for her. Like, yeah, his, like yeah, his life have, would yeah, be. He cares for her. Like you, like that scene where Silco is talking with Jace, and Jace is basically like, "Look, everything you want, I will give you, but you have to give me Jinx." Yeah. Like yeah. everything, like all of his problems would go away 
everything would happen. And he can't, like, his dreams that he's been fighting for, his goals that he's been fighting for his entire life could be handed to him if he would just give up this kid who is nothing but problems for him right now. And he can't do it. And you have that, um, you have that scene um, where it's the final live. scene around the dinner table. Yes, and it's kind of painful, isn't it? It's painful because it's painful. It's painful for to watch the character of Jinx go through that. It's painful to watch Vi because you're kind of sitting there thinking. And even as the characters, right, like the audience were like, "How crazy is she? Oh my God, is is Caitlin's head about to be under that cloche? Right, like." Because you're really scared. Oh, that about was that. weird, like, wasn't it? I was. I didn't know what to expect. I was just like, the show kind of surprises me a lot. So I'm like, it could be a head underneath there. I don't know. I loved that joke. I loved yeah. it so much. I mean, didn't you think there could be some possibility it could be a head under there, especially yeah, after you saw Mel's mom? Oh my snap. god, they killed Caitlyn. Yeah. It was so. It was so messed up. It was such a good joke. It was. Oh, I loved it. But what you have there is like you have like there's the jinx uh, there's the jinx uh, chair and then there's the powder chair right she's like okay which one are we gonna be and like you have both jinx or you have both Vi and Silco basically fighting over who do they think that this per- this character fundamentally is and in a sense they're kind of both wrong but like you know Silco's like you've always been this like I created you and basically and so you kind of see the, like, he's about to shoot her sister. And even though there's still a lot of work there, like she's still, like, she's still not going to like this man saved her. This man raised her, probably kept her from, uh, you know, not do He did not do a very good job about it, but it probably, and it's hard to imagine how he could have done a worse job, but you can still tell that he loves her. Right. Like, and and I even think that like when he first embraces her, like I think that's a genuine embrace, because yes, what, I agree. Because what we see is that Vander wasn't always, you know, the show treats him as like, oh, he's this really great guy. He wasn't a great guy. Like he got all these people killed. He almost he tried to drown his own younger brother, right? Silco is Vander's younger brother. Vander tried to drown him. And so I think what you right. see is Silco sees this weak kid of powder and is like, you have to transform in the way that I did. If you're going to survive, right? Yeah, he sees himself in her, and that's sort of irresistible, isn't it? As you know, you are you're necessarily going to be drawn and sort of protective of somebody that you see who has been harmed in the same way that you have, or has grown in the same way. So, well, we've talked a lot about these characters. I want to maybe go along with some of these others' uh, questions. Um, what do we think, what does the show, what does the series say about the nature of trauma? We've kind of talked about it for Jinx and Vi in the past, uh, a little bit before, but is there anything else that we feel like the, the series is really trying to say about trauma and how it like manifests? I think some of, some of what we, I think honestly we need a season two before we can really answer what the show's trying to say because they spend so much time laying groundwork and everyone is so deeply traumatized. I say it's because of capitalism. Um, but I'm I'm curious to see how they play out what comes next. Because I think that really informs how we go back and reread 
the things that have already happened because trauma under undergirds everything, every motivation for everyone in the, the undercity is because life is so hard. It is nothing but trauma. So you cling to the moments of joy when you can find it. The, mm-hmm. the, with Piltover, these people have, have only just begun to be introduced to struggle. And, you know, they're so privileged and full of themselves that, I mean, yeah, there there's stuff that goes on, but Mel's struggle with yeah, her but mother then, does not come right, anywhere in yeah. jinx, you know? No, it doesn't. But it's like her mother is beheaded somebody in front of her, right? That's serious yeah. trauma. That is true. And gross. And gross. And, and But you're right. I mean, I think that's the way that the show has laid the groundwork for this issue. Does Jace have any backstory that we've seen of the same sort? Um. So what you have, I'm trying to remember, there's a scene where like, the, one of the reasons he's obsessed with magic is that like magic saved him and his mother, but like they were, mm. they were in like a different place or something. And like, they were freezing to death and like an old wizardy kind of guy kind of comes up to them and like, like moves his hand in like a blue light that looks very much like the hex tech light. Oh yeah. Waves over yeah. Them, and they're like transported to Piltover. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I yeah. think that that, like, I think that that's is like, Jace has this like absolute trust in, like what it can do and that like this can save people and like you you see initially that jace is talking about like because the things that eventually become like his weapon in the game is the hammer and then he makes the 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 gauntlets uh which uh, are yeah uh, by uses that but was the first point in the show like, i was like oh here's where the game comes in that big hammer has got to be in the game and those big yeah. uh those big punching things that uh, yeah. vi wears yeah yeah those are what those are her weapons in the game and so he, but he, and he's originally like, he's originally making them to kind of help the poors work faster, right? He's like, yes, but right. he can work faster and without fatigue. It's like, or, you know, like y'all could like have an orphanage for all these orphans. Like that would probably actually be right. more helpful. Right. Like, so, and you know, I, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a kind of a steampunk fantasy world. I don't want to hold it to like too literal of interpretations of, you know, modern <laughs> social stuff. But I just, I find, I think one of the, I find this show particularly interesting because there's a lot of trauma that these essentially kind of teen girls are having. And since my normal day job is working with foster children, teen girls with a lot of trauma is kind of what I spend all my day with, like all the time, like I'm mm. up to my elbows in mm-hmm. it. And so, you know, what you have is like, is. And I've never had had a kiddo uh, or worked with a kiddo that would have had the issues that Jinx specifically would have, would have. But this, like, this really is manifesting, um, and it's doing, and it's informing all of their decisions, especially for Jinx. Um, like, it's super important. Like, she, you keep hearing her talk about like how you she doesn't want anyone to lie because I think you know feeling safe is really important to her. And if you and if I can't trust you to tell the truth. How can I trust you? Like when you say you're not going to leave me, or you say I'm going to be safe, right? So I think that that's kind of yep, where it yep. kind of comes from. Um, Lori, I would like to let you get on your soapbox for a little bit. Um, tell me, what do you think that this? I one that the series says about the corrupting nature of political power, and what does it have to say about the relationship between income inequality and technology? Go. Oh man. Okay, so class war is my favorite kind of war. 
Um, this show, it, it literalizes so many of the issues that uh, are at the root of like my own personal struggle against uh, capitalism and the way it dehumanizes everyone. What I find most fascinating is the kind of willful ignorance of a lot of the people of Piltover about what their lifestyles do to the people of the Undercity. And we only start to see little bits of it. So the show is clearly aware of this. And the show wants to have a conversation about what happens when one one group of people hoard resources at the exp- direct expense of another group of people. But they haven't really gotten into it. I think they had to you know, get some backstory out of the way. So I'm cur- I'm fascinated to see what happens in season two with this, but I hate everyone in Piltover and <laughs> find myself deeply, deeply aligned with all of the, um, the poor schmugs down in the under, under city. You would be, you would, you would have been a member of the Firelights then, like the little, like the gang that Echo. Uh, 100%. Absolutely. Sign me up. I'll make that mask. I'll even learn how to ride a hoverboard. Yeah, you get to like the like little hoverboard or like like magic um like skateboard or whatever. Um by the way, uh Echo, the main character from the there is uh he's also one of the champions in the game and his technology is that he can he has this little device that can like turn back time. Ooh. So he can like go back in time like a little bit. Um which I think you they I think they they really kind of show uh, and stylize in his fight with Jinx. Which I think oh yeah, because like he's not actually turning back time, but he's sitting there and he's looking, and you see him as a child and Jinx as a child, and I think that that's also that's a little nod to an anime's right where there's always a fight in a fight. There's always like a flashback to your past, right? Mm-hmm. To like stretch the fight out for like five episodes when it could, when if you didn't have the flashbacks, it would be like half of one episode, huh. right? I didn't know that was an anime thing. I really liked that scene. I thought that scene was impressive visually. Oh, it's it, very interesting. It really is. Um, and I think, I think, Lori, one of the things that you see is, like, early on, like, in, when we first meet Jace and everything, like, you have Piltover and you have the Undercity, and you can kind of, when the kids are walking around in the Undercity, it's, like, not great, but it's not, like, oh, my God, scary, evil, bad, right? Like, it's just clearly yeah. the poor part of town that they're living in, right? Yeah, it's a little Blade Runner. But it's but it's not sounds like you need to read Time Machine, Lori. See, if that, <laughs> see how that's at Echoes. Oh, and then we'll do it. Yeah, and then we'll do an episode over it. Uh, yeah, because that's what we do now. That's uh, what we do now, the three of us. Woo! And so, but what you end up with, like after the jump, and like you have like Silco has basically taken over. Um, Silco has taken over the Undercity. Like even then, like he is, you know he is in charge and like he, he could clearly be helping make things better, but like, Nope, we have everybody addicted to drugs. Yeah. Right. Yeah, like that's, so it's that's much worse the difference later between on. like life under Silco versus life under Vander. Vander was not a great person, but he was trying to live up to an ideal of heroism. Whereas Silco just wanted to hoard wealth for himself. Again, like, it, you could see the absence of Vander let people give in to their worser instincts. And 
I I wonder how so, how a character like I, I keep wanting to call him Humdinger, but the little cat guy Heimdinger. Heimerdinger, yeah. Heimerdinger. Heimerdinger. He's a champion. You can play as him. Uh, oh, I would absolutely play as him. 100 percent. Um, but he seems really interesting in the 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 like power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely kind of dynamic because he's so old that he can't relate to anything anymore. But he's so old yeah, and, he's like and ancient. Years old, and so it's a, it's really different, right? Because yeah. everyone else is like, no, we need to make a difference now, and he's like, well, we can study this for several decades, and it's like they people don't have the time right now. Right. Yeah, but uh, what he he's he's not tied in, but he's also not corrupted. Like he's not he's he's not tempted by the accumulation of wealth and power on its own. The and and when confronted with the hell that people in the undercity are living through, he wants to to help, and and he's impressed with the society that Echo's people have been able to create. And acknowledges their their skills. So there's something in, you know what? No, I'm leaning into it. There's something into hum in Humdinger that is is uh, commendable. And maybe not all of Piltover needs to be burned when uh, the rain of fire comes. I maybe someone can live, and it can be a tiny little cat man. Well, I mean, I'm gonna call him Humdinger from here on out. Humdinger. Well, clearly you're going to get a good portion of your list list because our last scene is uh, uh, the last scene of of the first season is basically um, Jinx launching like a warhead from like I guess like a little from like a shark gun that's going straight into the uh that's going straight into the like the high council chamber where they're all voting to give Zon independence and like let's let them break free like we don't want war and I think that's one of the things I do think is interesting and I do want to give you know Mel for all of her she's capitalist you know has some of this you know is doing a lot of this for increased political influence and power I do think because of her childhood with her mother she recognizes that war is very bad like Jason initially yeah. is like gotta get in there we gotta do this and like he goes in with by they raid one of they they raid and basically destroy one of the the shimmer factories and there we see like a child who who dies i'm sure there are more who died but we see at least what like adults but there's a child who was working there who died that jace kills and he's just devastated and you know that's different like by is like this is just the price of doing business like she is not phased at all Right, because that's the life she came from. Like, life is rough. This happens. Um, she's see- seen dead kids all the time. Like she says, like I see dead kids all the time from when um, enforcers would come in and like do all this stuff. Like it's not a big deal to her. But he went in with all of this, like you know, noble outrage, and then he's like, oh no. And so Mel like understands that war is really very, very bad, and is really should be the last resort. And so they're kind of voting, like, okay, we're gonna let them be independent. And then you just kind of see that like warhead streaking across an absurdly large artistic uh, moon um, to blow up the council chamber. So, Lori, you are probably going to get your wish that a lot of people are going to die who are in Yay! So I'm not a monster, listeners. I'm really not. 
<laughs> so, um, what do we think? Um, I don't know, know if we've even really gone into it yet, but I mean, what do y'all think about the art style for this? The the anime, the French animation studio that did this, that uh, called Fortiche. Like, what are y'all's thoughts on the art? Um, listeners, the art is, if you can think about it, like it has, it's basically, it's, I'm going to say hand-painted, but it's it's hand-painted on a computer. Uh, they have these lovely, beautiful hand-painted backgrounds. All of the two-dimensional effects are hand-drawn, are hand -drawn, are 2D hand-drawn. And then what you do, they have the three-dimensional characters that they then do, again, hand-drawn, like, shading on. So they have these, it's three-dimensional, but it has this very painterly watercolor effect to it. Um, what, do what was your thoughts when y'all first saw the animation style? I liked it a lot, and uh, I liked the, I liked the steampunk aesthetic overall. And I, it, I'm just wondering. It felt to me like the aesthetic kind of developed through the show, in a in a way like it was more steampunk at the beginning. Am I making this up? I I don't think so. Like I mean, I think especially like the city itself. One of the things I think it looks really beautiful, and I think you. They showed some of the side-by-sides, like, it was kind of interesting, like, just this week, apparently, League of Legends, or maybe, like, the week before, they published, like, seven or eight episodes on YouTube about, like, the making of Arcane, and they're all, like, oh, 30 really? episodes, oh, wow. so I got, I, no I noticed that earlier today, I started watching them, and, like, a lot of Piltover looks like Paris, and, like, you have these, like, four to five story, uh... like, built, like, little apartment buildings, and, like, you have the streets, and, like, everything, Um that makes sense, actually, because I, you know, at the beginning, I remember thinking of Paris at the beginning in particular. But uh, you know, I also thought the little sort of childlike drawings that Jinx does when she's making those machines. I was like, where have I seen that as aesthetic? And I realized it was from Big Hero Six. Yes. Well, and I think so. You talk talk about the drawings that Jinx does. Like, I think that the show, I think that Arcade does this amazing job of showing, not telling. Yes, yeah, I agree. And you really get the art, I think, particularly, they do an amazing job of showing Jinx's kind of, like, when she's in a psychotic episode, because what they do Wonderful. to create yeah. these um, uh, listeners, what will happen is you'll have, they have these two-dimensional kind of childlike drawings that are hand-drawn and layered over the, um, layered over the 3D animation in the computer, and so she'll be having a moment where she's hearing voices and instead of it being like an actual person, it's like this, like a monster that a five-year-old might draw, right? It's like yelling at her as like a, like a little drawing. And I think it really shows, one, her psychosis. And also that like, I think it also helps explain this kind of infantilizing like, uh, presence that she has in the game because it's not that she's like this manic pixie like ooh, ooh little girl sexy it's like no she is a child who was traumatized as nine and even though she's physically gotten older she's still kind of where she is when she was traumatized as a nine-year-old like I think that, that kind of helps explain it um and a lot of what they like they did a lot of like they were they would paint over and they would like scratch um into the paint to like this have this idea of like it's rough and crazy um and then i think i don't either laurie or christina one of you said we're talking about like 
when uh, Jinx will have these moments where she's like, for lack of a better term, goleming, right? Where she's talking to herself. And yeah. She has, she has that scene where she's in talking and she's in the mirror and like the hole in the mirror is lining up with her eye. And then like, but then it kind of pulls back and then like her eye lines up with this crack. And then like, there's like nine reflections, right? As she's like, yes, very well done. Associated with that mirror, right? Finally saying like, no, this is a ma- like, you know, there's a lot of stuff where I'm like, oh, yeah, we talked, oh, mirrors, we talked about mirrors and identity went during, like, English class. Like, there's a lot of that kind of stuff that I feel like I pick up on. Oh, oh totally. It's all there. Yeah. Yeah. So, Lori, what were some of your thoughts about the artwork? I think, I think overall it's really gorgeous. I have one giant massive complaint though and that's about the character of milo who is gone by the third episode he looks like he's been imported in from another anime and style entirely he's got that stupid anime hair where it's all spiky and his texture mapping is different from everyone else's i was texting with my my old roommate about it because he's you know, a big fan of the show and it was like this guy is wrong and it just looks so weird. And I don't know why it's making me so angry. And Joshua says, oh, that's because he kind of looks like Tetsuo from Akira. And I'm like, yes, he does. That's not this animation style. He should not be here. Um, and then he died. So clearly everyone gives me what I want. That's clearly the, the conclusion we should draw. Yeah. Yes. I mean, that's, that is what I assume now about the world is that all art is made for me and they give me what I want. That's healthy, right? It is healthy. That is, that is a healthy fandom that you have the ability to 100% make the creators do whatever it is that you want for their vision. That's healthy fandom. You're all welcome. And yes, you can thank me for having such good taste. Indeed, as we do all the time, Lord. <laughs> um. I, I I do think that the animation style like really helps kind of go with this kind of steampunk feel, right? Because you again, I the like the two dimensional like effects. So listeners, like if you can if you think of like if a character was smoking a pipe instead of the pipe being like the pipe is three dimensional um, in the space, but the the smoke coming out of the pipe is hand drawn. Um, same with a fire, like. A fire, it's a two-dimensional. And so you still get this lovely hand-drawn two-dimensional effects that have this kind of beauty that you, if you, you might really associate with something like Sleeping Beauty or something like that, right? Which, which I would consider to be kind of like the high point of Disney uh, two-dimensional anima- uh, 2D animation in terms of just sheer beauty. Uh, and so... You kind of, in my sense, you get the best of both worlds. Uh, but it, I, I do think that the animation does go a long way to help tell the story, especially in showing Jinx and her, her 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 inner demons. Like we're literally shown her her inner demons who are arguing with her when she's having a psychotic episode, which happens a lot for her, and it's it really helps tell the story in a way that if we didn't have that, or if we were, this was somehow they were trying to do this live action, like they've done with some of their anime adaptations of like, well, yes, yes. And just 
or something like that. To add to that, like, I mean, couldn't work. But something is gen- like animation, genuine, generally, or not generally, genuinely is a better medium for certain things. And right, I that's right. And, would and embrace that more. Right, as a as a teacher of the graphic novel and a great appreciator of the graphic novel, the places where the graphic novel excels is when it recognizes the things that it can do that a regular novel cannot, and that an animated thing cannot. Same with animation, right? It has to embrace and recognize the things that it can do that a regular film can't. And I remember thinking that, especially when I watched like The Amazing Spider-Man, that like, is that the right title? Where they just did so much. Oh, uh, you mean uh, Into the Spider-Verse? Yeah, that one. Yes. Oh, that was beautiful too. And again, this, this, not that it's a similar animation style, but the like, the moment I saw the animation, I remember being like, I'm watching art. Like, this is, like, popular. Lots of people are going to love it, but this is real art. I had the same feeling when I initially saw that animation 100%. as when I saw Arcane. I agree. And I really love that in both of those, it, they, there are different animation styles that signal different things. Because, like, the with the, the scratching on the... So, with Jinx's uh, psychotic moments... It is meant to replicate uh, an in her, a very early um, film animation style where not it wasn't a photograph taken, but it was actually carved into the film itself. Um, and you see these two different animation techniques in frisson with each other, and it's beautiful the way that they co- they talk back and forth visually. And yes, you yes, could not pull that off. You couldn't do it with words. You know, it's you can't do yep. it with human people faces that are real human people. You know, you exactly. have to you have to use the power of the art. And you see that into the Spider-Verse with uh, like, you know, Noir, Spider-Man and Spider-Pig. God bless Spider-Pig. Um, it, Peter Porker. Love that character. Yeah. So recognizing... Brilliant. Yeah, recognizing the the power of your own medium and leaning into it—that's a real power move. I I applaud that, even if they do include Milo. All right, <sighs> Milo, stupid hair. <laughs> Sorry, I'm hung up on that. Sorry. That's fine. Uh, do we? Do y'all have anything y'all want to add before we go to our uh, recommendations and passing on? I'm good. Okay. Well, then we'll move on to our recommendations and passing on. Lori, what are you recommending? All right. Because Milo so looks so stupid, and it reminded me of something that's awesome. I'm recommending the 1988 film of Akira by Katsuhiro Otomo. Uh, not the manga, because that's that's. Uh, that's a bridge too far. And Akira is amazing and it's messed up and beautiful and really important. So if you ever get into anime and you haven't watched it, I'm sorry, you have to. You have to stop what you're doing and go watch it now. Now! Stop the... We'll, we'll still be here. You can pause the episode. Okay, All right, very good. What about you, Christina? Well, I can't beat that, but um, you know, since we are the what I'm going to call the three nerd stooges, 
I'm going to pull a nerd <laughs> stooge thing and go back to our episode where we talked about Mythic Quest and you recommended, Sarah, uh, Arcane. There, I'm going to recommend Mythic Quest. And I feel the same way that Lori does about that show. If you haven't watched it, stop right now and go and watch it. If you're listening to this show, you will love that show. Um, so can't do better than that. Okay. And I am going to uh, recommend a manga or slash anime. And I've made this recommendation on a different show, but I'm going to make it again today, which is I'm going to recommend Full Metal Alchemist, the, uh, the anime, which is Br- Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. There are two series. You want the second series, Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. Again, I think, Christina, if you were able to watch it or uh, read it, you'd really, really enjoy it. It has a lot of very similar things. Uh, It's steampunk. You kind of have this theme of, like, magic is science. You have uh, some of the class issues, and you have these kind of amazing um, fight scenes. And it's you that there's, like, uh, and the idea that, like, there's a certain amount of uh, science that 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 you're going to have to sacrifice for. Um, you have the the government, like the shady government, all that kind of stuff. It's it's generally considered to be one of the top uh, mangas ever made. So I would highly recommend that one um, for anyone who would be interested. So. It's on my list. You know. All right, excellent. Well, everyone, thank you for listening to the Christian Feminist Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. If you have a topic or a reading recommendation for future shows, or if you just want to drop us a line, you can do so at christianfeministpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on our Facebook page or on the network's Twitter handle at CHR Radio Network. And check out the show notes from this and other episodes at the Christian Humanist blog at christianhumanist.org. The Christian Feminist Podcast is a member of the Christian Humanist Radio Network. Kristen Philippic is our press liaison. For Laurie Norris and Christina Bieber-Lake, I'm Sarah Kluster. Tune in in two weeks when we'll discuss the Apple series uh, Smigadoon. I hope I said that right. Until then, in essentials unity, in non-essentials liberty, and in all things love.